it's still a really very humbling experience because I have family members, majority of my family um, in Texas haven't like been to Europe, you know? And so when I told them I was going, they were like, little old, little old Kristen, you know, where are you going, girl? (laughs) You know, my mom had to, like, that was the time when she was like, okay, we have to initiate like a secret word. So that way I know you're okay. You know, I will be texting instead of just being like, Oh, I'm fine. She'll be like, well, how do I know this is you? And so we have like a secret word we had to like come up with when I like first went abroad. She's like kind of crazy about it. Like if I didn't text her the word, she's like, I'm going to call the police right now. Like Chris, like it's, yeah, it's even still humbling in the black community, but just even in my interpersonal life to like be like, yeah, I've been to Europe and you know what that was like. Um, And knowing that that just isn't, isn't an experience that everybody gets to have too, you know? Hello, hello! Welcome to Young, Gifted, and Abroad, perspectives on studying abroad from past and present students of color. My name is Danielle, and I'm so excited to be able to talk to you today because today I have my friend Kristen as the guest. Kristen is a good college friend of mine, originally from Texas, still repping Texas, (laughs) whom I met when we were both students at Michigan State University. And more specifically, within MSU, we uh, were both in James Madison College, which focuses on political science, public policy, international relations, that kind of thing. At some point in this interview, you'll hear me refer to a cluster of black girls that we had at James Madison at the time. And just to name a few, um, Hope from episode seven, Sarita from episode eight, Salem from episode 17, Jarena from episode 18, Marley from episode 19, and Joe from episode 40 were all part of that cluster of black girls. And Kristen was part of that too. She was there as well. So while in undergrad, Kristen got the opportunity to study abroad twice. First, she spent a few weeks in Europe, uh, which was her first time ever going overseas. And most of those few weeks were spent in London. She was studying public policy there. But before that program got underway, she and a few classmates went to Paris. They spent a few days there just for fun. And then the following year, Kristen spent a little over a week in Spain, specifically Barcelona, where she studied marketing and international business. So she and I talked a lot about those two study abroad programs she did, those breakthrough experiences, if you will, and how eye-opening they were for her. We also talked about why Spain has since become the number two place on Kristen's list that she would consider moving abroad to. Second, after Canada, which Kristen has a very unique and surprising connection to. You'll hear about that as well. And in addition to her travels, we also talked about Kristen's journey in academia uh, because, as I mentioned, she studied public policy in undergrad and currently she is studying law in California. She's in law school right now. But even though going to law school was something that Kristen had been wanting to do for a long time, um, her path to law school has not been a linear one. And that's something that she's actually thankful for now in hindsight. 
Um, part of that nonlinear path has included an extra graduate degree that she did not at first plan to get. <laughs> and she was able to pursue that degree for free. So <laughs> you'll hear her explain how that all came together because it it's pretty miraculous if you ask me. But yeah, this episode is really special to me. One, because I got to talk to my friend again. Kristen and I, of course, have kept in touch via texting and and online and all that. But verbally talking to each other, we have not been able to do in quite a while. So I am thankful that I got that opportunity again. And this episode is also special to me because... On my end, I I recorded this interview in my uncle's house in Indianapolis, which is also the same place that I recorded my first interview ever for this show, um, when I interviewed my cousin Kayla for episode one of Young, Gifted, and Abroad. It just so happened that the day and time that Kristen was available coincided with me visiting some of my relatives in Indianapolis. And so now I can say that my first interview for Young, Gifted, and Abroad and my 91st interview for Young, Gifted, and Abroad were both recorded in my uncle's house. (laughs) And thanks to the support of my family, so thanks to my Uncle Rod and my Aunt Dawn for generously letting me use a quiet space in their house to make this interview happen and make this episode happen that you hear now. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy my interview with my friend, Kristen Richardson. How do you like um, California? I know you're out west again, but I'm, I guess, I'm assuming California is different from Texas. How do you like it so far? (laughs) So different. Um, You know, definitely coming from the south, I always had these like really romanticized ideas about California. Um, And some of them have lived up to be very true, but some some of the things I thought I, I wanted in a place, I realized I don't really want. So it's mm. been a great kind of evolution for me, honestly, to mm. um to like really yeah, and maybe it's because I'm a bit old I'm a bit older now. Um, but yes, California has been amazing and innovative in some ways, and then I feel like in some ways it really has so much work to do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. Okay, that's good. Can count on you to always be honest. I appreciate that. <laughs> oh, wow. How's Michigan? How's Michigan? I left. Yeah, July of last year. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's pretty much same old, same old. It's just really cold <laughs> right now. And we just got a bunch of snow the other day. I thought it was going to be a much more mild winter. And it, for the most part, it has been. But um, yeah, it's just cold. <laughs> but, you know, you're used to that. <laughs> you're familiar with that. <laughs> yeah, it was during those days of the polar vortex, girl. Ooh, oh, yeah. Goodness. I can't believe we had to go to, we were on campus when that happened. Yeah, I remember that. 
Yeah, fortunately, I'm in Indianapolis right now, and it's cold, but not like like in your bones cold like it was back in Michigan. So it's a little better down here. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's so good to hear. Yeah, so I, I really am glad, well, first of all, again, to talk to you, because I know it's been a long time, um, but I really do appreciate you <laughs> agree to be a guest on on this thing, um, on this podcast. I remember at the end of <laughs> um, the episode I just put out, I, at the end of it, I was talking about who the next guest was going to be, and I described you as someone who has all the degrees, um, <laughs> like all of the degrees and so I'll, I'll ask you about that of course but um and talk about your time in europe because that's mostly why we're here but uh before we get to all that why don't we just get started with you introducing yourself a bit you know whatever you want people to know about you right off the bat you can go ahead <laughs> hi my name is kristen richardson and i am currently um getting my law degree from the University of Southern California Mm -hmm. and have an interest in really trying to bridge um, capital to communities of color. I am a Southerner at heart, a lifelong Spartan, um, (laughs) and really excited for the time that we're living in right now. I think, um, yeah, I'm really excited. I think COVID has brought up so many great New challenges, but great opportunities, too, for studying abroad and what it means to do remote work. So, Mm. yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's good. See, see, that's not what I am used to hearing in terms of the the times that we're in right now. Um, Very optimistic spin on it, which I appreciate, you know. Um, We need that uh, type of optimism, especially now. So, yeah, that's great. So I invited you on to be a guest on the show because I remember you – you know, when you were at MSU, you studied in Europe. I remember that, but I don't really remember anything else about that trip. So can you talk about <laughs> what that was about? You know, what the trip was for, where you went, how long it was, you know? <laughs> Refresh my memory, please. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, studied abroad in 2014. Um, I went to London with James Madison College, which is where me and Danielle met. Um, and mm-hmm. it's a kind of a residential college that's really focused on public policy and international relations um, housed within the, the broader Michigan State University. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I went there with Professor Byrne. And during that time, actually, uh, so it was scheduled to be in London, but um, I won't me and a couple of people were like, well, why, wh- while we're in London, we might as well go to Paris, you know, and see Paris. And so before the actual, you know, study abroad started, we went to Paris. So I did that. And then in 20, I want to say 2015 with uh, Broad College of Business, I went to Barcelona, Spain. So those have been my two, my only uh, travels, actually, uh, internationally, besides the occasional, you know, Mexico for the weddings here and there and shenanigans. So, mm. uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. And you went to Canada, right? Didn't you go to Canada for your, when you were in grad school for something? Definitely. Yeah. I'm so happy you mentioned that. Um, I, with you, with U of M, um, in my master's in the public policy program, I went and did a policy competition with the University of Toronto. So I went to Toronto and, um, 
that was that's always great to be back in Toronto. And I t- and I typically I have family um, that are from Canada, a small city called Chatham. Oh, so wow, I go I back for family. Yeah, cool. it was actually <laughs> yeah, um, it was actually a stop on the Underground Railroad. And so, uh, so I have a lot of family there and always go back every year. Um, so I, yeah, I love Canada. If I like had to live abroad, I think it would definitely probably be somewhere in Canada for sure. Wow. I just, (laughs) you just blew my mind. I had no idea. In my mind, it's always been Kristen, Texas, Kristen, Texas, Kristen, (laughs) Texas. I didn't know you had roots in in Canada as well. Like you, you know, that's awesome. And connected to the Underground Railroad, too. That's so fascinating. Oh, wow. I'm glad I learned that yeah. today. <laughs> yeah. yeah it, it's definitely really cool to see Black people in these spaces, too. You know, and mm-hmm. I, I've lived in Michigan. You live in Michigan. But just to know, just across the border, um, kind of a different way of living. Um, and it's so, like, accessible, too. You know, it's just, like, such a thing for people in Michigan to you know, go shopping in Canada or, or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, seeing how Black people operate in the space they operate abroad is is really, really interesting mm-hmm. uh, for me. So yeah. <laughs> mm, for sure, for sure. Okay, so the first trip you said was you went to London, uh, but you went to Paris before that, just to experience that before your program got started. And then you went to Spain. Was it the next year? Right? Yeah, I was just saying the next year, 2015. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So how long were, were both of those trips? Were they like super long? I would. They weren't super long. I would say that like the Paris-London one was about three weeks. And then um, the Barcelona one was during spring break. So probably like a week, a week and a half. Okay. And okay. So you said the first one you went with Professor Byrne. I don't think I had Professor Byrne. I'm assuming that was like James Madison related though. It was so James Madison related. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually got a, um, a scholarship, um, to, to go on it because that was my first time ever really, besides like the occasional, uh, Canada trip, but that was my first time, like, you know, across the, across the seas, um, trip. And so, yeah, I got a scholarship to go and it definitely, yeah, to this day, actually JMC calls me and asks me for money. And <laughs> while I don't have much, to, <laughs> yeah, while, while I don't have much to give currently being in school, I like, I give like a hundred dollars, like specifically, and they'll ask me where you wanted to go. And I'm like, people of color to study abroad. Cause mm-hmm. um, my eyes just were so, were so open uh, through that experience. I remember one experience, um, I was talking to this, this uh, black guy that I like just randomly saw on like a little, like a train station. And we were talking and he said something so interesting. He was like, I identify as being, um, as being French before I identify as being black, mm, you know? Yeah. And like, you know what that means versus like, you know, talking to like a black American and like we would, I would definitely feel like, Oh, I, I identify with, you know, being black versus like, having a strong like tie to America, you know, I wouldn't say like I'm American, you know, um, <laughs> like that wouldn't be like the first thing that like comes out. I'd be like, I'm black, you know? Yeah. And so, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, it really just makes me think about how like the identities we have and whether that's just instilled in you growing up in France or, you know, a badge of honor. And it's, and it's kind of like, I don't know, being black in America is like, well, yeah, I'm, 
I'm black and I happen to be like in a, in America, you know? So yeah. it's just so different. Yeah. Yeah, it is different. <laughs> that's so not surprising for me though. Like that's a very <laughs> French thing to say because in France it's like there's a lot of pride in being French. Um, mm-hmm. Like no, especially knowing the language, knowing all the cultural stuff that has um, come out of France or other um, French speaking areas, like that cultural identity of being French is very, very important. And I think in France, it's like, almost like, it's almost like they prefer not to harp on race because they feel like that in itself is like racist. So like, if you focus more on, like, even in the census, I don't think they have racial, this might have changed, I don't know, but they did as far as I know, they don't even have racial categories in, like, the census because they feel like Whoa. designating people based on race is racist. But it's like, I don't know, that's important data you could be looking at when you're <laughs> looking at discrimination and all all kinds of other things. But, you know, it's it's about being French. The, it's hmm. That comes before anything else. And, of course, there are a, a lots of Black people who are more so now being, like, you know, my, my blackness, yes, I'm a French person, but me being black is also very important to me. And I have roots in, in Martinique. I have roots in Senegal. Like, you know, I, I'm, I don't want to just pave over my African or Caribbean identity with Frenchness. Mm-hmm. Like it's all there together at the same time. So I guess it depends on the person, but yeah, that's interesting that, um, that guy you met said that because, you know, <laughs> it's a very French thing to say. I'm not surprised. <laughs> So, <laughs> I'm glad you got that exposure because that's actually very, that way of thinking is very common. Not to say that it's bad. It's just, you know, Frenchness is like, French people are very proud of being French, I guess. That's the long and short of it, I guess. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's really interesting. <laughs> what you said about facts on the date, on the data. So, yeah, so important now, like we would kind of see it as being like, well, just because you don't talk about race here in America doesn't mean it like goes away, you mm-hmm. know, and um, how we like need those facts and data to, you know, for allocation of funds towards things on a local level too. And like how important that is, it would just be kind of unreal to just think of America not having, you know, racist or, or census. And obviously they used it in harmful ways back then. But even now, mm-hmm. I think nobody yeah. would really advocate for like, a, no, we're just, you know, Amer- you know, Americans or type of thing too, yeah. either. You know, we're just so closely tied to our race. And we're, you, we've grown up being like very well knowing, you know, affirming what we are, even from other people who aren't a part of our group, you know, mm-hmm. like you're black, you know, so mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that <laughs> happened. Uh, how long were you in Paris before you went to um, London to start your program? Was that only a few days? Um, It was about five days. Yeah. And I remember going with Jocelyn, Chris Mills. Um, <laughs> oh, I remember Chris. It was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know what? It was, it was cool that we kind of did a, like a off the off the branch type of thing like on our own because we didn't stay in like we didn't stay in the Paris is near the Eiffel Tower Paris you know mm-hmm. we we stayed in like <laughs> I, like the equivalent of like the I guess the hood in Paris you know we like mm-hmm. was with the locals you know we weren't really with the, like the tourists and um so that was a different side of Paris that you like don't see too and um and versus you know going to London obviously the university is going to make you want to stay in like you know, a nice place, a safe place or whatever. But mm-hmm. we kind of really like 
we were kind of living on the edge, you know, mm-hmm. a little bit, a little bit too, but collectively together. So um, that was nice not to just see like the very touristy sides of Paris. Yeah. Where did you, um, cause you said this was like your first time going abroad besides going to Canada. So it's, um, you know, where did you find the courage to go for it and do that? Was it because you were with other people that you knew that made you feel like going on this like side adventure before <laughs> starting your, your thing in London? <laughs> I think it was, um, I, I wanted to go cause at MSU, they both so much that they're like, number one, study abroad, yeah. you know, place. <laughs> like, that was, like, ingrained in us, right? And yeah. so uh, I've always, like, heard of it, heard of it. And then with JMC, I think it was really the scholarship that really made it possible mm-hmm. for me to go. And um, it's still it's still a really very humbling experience because I'm from Texas and, like, Southeast Texas. And um, not I would say, like, I have family members, majority of my family um, in Texas haven't like been to Europe, you know? And so when I told them I was going, they were like, little old, little old Kristen, you know, where are you going, girl? (laughs) You know, and like so much so, you know, my mom had to, like, that was the time when she was like, okay, we have to initiate like a secret word so that way I know you're okay you know and Mm -hmm. um instead of just like oh you know how we'll be text instead of just being like oh I'm fine she'll be like well how do I know this is you and so we have like a secret (laughs) word we had to like come up with when I like first went abroad she's like you have to text me this word and she would be like kind of kind of crazy about it like if I didn't text her the word she's like I'm gonna call the police right now like Chris like she was (laughs) she was like (laughs) she was like very serious about it um so yeah, it's even it's yeah, it's even still humbling in the black community, but just even in my interpersonal life to like be like, yeah, I've been to Europe and mm-hmm. you know what that was like. Um and knowing that that just isn't isn't a, an experience that everybody gets to have too, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um I was I was really humbled by it. So yeah, it was really just JMC and the opportunity and I was like, if not now, then you know, when? Yeah. And then it was something that was already organized for me because little old me, I, I mean, trying to do it a lot, trying to do it just on my own, I would feel like I would be skipped and scammed left and right. Like I wouldn't know <laughs> what was real from what was fake, you know, like yeah. maybe I paid money for this tour. Is it real? I don't know. So like that was always apprehension. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm grateful you know, I criticize JMC, but I'm grateful for JMC for some other stuff. So, and that's one of them. Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. One of the things that you, um, the criticisms, inquiring minds would like to know <laughs> what, what issues you have with, um, with JMC, if you don't mind talking yeah. about it. <laughs> No, not not at all, you know, because, you know, as Jane Baldwin said, you know, to love her is, you know, is to criticize her, you know, mm-hmm. like having this relationship with like America, like I love her so much, I'm gonna criticize her because I want her to be better. And so that's how I feel about JMC. But even during, uh, yeah, during our time there, um, I think the lack of acknowledgement for black excellence and that wasn't even a word when we were like that wasn't even like a saying when we were in school you know like Mm. black girl magic and black excellence you know it wasn't as heavy it wasn't as popularized as it is now but Mm. that you know like um i yeah the you know the lack of black faculty 
There was an obvious one. I mean, Lisa Cook, who has been nominated by Biden now. Yeah. You know, I, I don't even, she didn't even have tenure. Stokes, who just retired, retired two, three years ago in 2019 because I went to a retirement party, you know. Mm. Th- that's still that's still an issue about, you know, representation, um, black representation in JMC and for um, somebody like Lisa Cook that's over and abundantly qualified. Um, yeah. I think about the pipeline to getting more black students there, um, the curriculum. Yes, the curriculum, but also like um, kind of monitoring the comments and the statements that, that would be said about other students when we were talking about highly sensitive things that had to do with people of color in general, Mm. I think could have been done better. (laughs) Those and a couple of things are my critiques. But I mean, I, to this day, I do feel like uh, for me coming from the South, you know, reading, you know, um, you know, Marx and reading all these, you know, really theories that I wouldn't really have been exposed to, or, or if I would have been, they would have been like a shunned in a way has really opened my eyes and JMC forever is indebted to have, for me to be like thinking critically and to analyze things with such a different perspective. And mm-hmm. I think for, you know, little old, yeah, you know, country girl, you know, uh, like getting exposed to that. I, I think that was life changing. I think to this day, yeah, I just credit JMC with like teaching me how to think. Yeah. It, and it really, really did. I feel very similar, similarly to what you've um, just described. And uh, yeah, the criticisms you mentioned, I've also heard before, but I just figured <laughs> I'd, I'd see what, what, what specific things you had that were, <laughs> that you thought um, needed improvement. So I appreciate you sharing those. Um, so when you were in London, you know, what was that about? Like, what were you learning about when you were in London? When I was in London, um, we had taken a part of our class. Um, when I was in London, I was housed in another university in London. I think it, I think it's the University of Regents. And um, during, during that time, we would like, Professor Burns would still be teaching class. And we would have all these tours that we are uh, supposed to go on. Like we, you know, saw the Big Ben and and all, all things like that. Um, but what was really awesome was, um, you know, the experiences outside of class. Mm-hmm. So I know one that will always stick with me forever. I don't know how we got, I don't know how me and my group of friends got caught up with these local London, Londoners, or I don't even know that's a thing, but like how these local people, <laughs> I don't remember how, but I remember this woman who, um, who, who identified as being white. I remember her being like so infatuated with black hair. And <laughs> while I have experienced people like that, but she wasn't doing it in a way that was really offensive. She was, she was doing it in a way of like, oh, you just don't understand. Like, because your hair has the thickness and the coarseness to it, you know, you're able to do all these cool things to it. And, and us white women here are trying to get our hair like that. And, mm-hmm. um, for me, that was huge. I mean, because I can only speak for me, but like being a black American, a black American woman, like we are so, whether we want to admit it or not, we're so tied to our hair. Yeah. Um, and we're, we're protective of it. It just is, you know, just ingrained in us to, you know, you need to have your hair looking right. And if you don't, you know, this and that. And we do all these things to the extreme to make sure it's validating to us. 
into other people. And I think we've gotten better of just trying to validate ourselves and not be so tied to our hair. But, you know, there is like, we're really tied to our hair. And mm-hmm. so for her to say that and to have grown up, like always trying to make my hair do something that it wasn't meant to do mm-hmm. and be, it was just so liberating. But it also made me think like, wow, I have really been like, ingrained and indoctrined in some like not only outdated but really like Americanized way of thinking and this Mm -hmm. is like not what everybody thinks you Mm -hmm. know and I don't know it was just really freeing and liberating um I think to hear that perspective because it's just kind of like you think that the American way is the only way to think about and to do things and it's absolutely probably not the best way and definitely not the right way Mm -hmm. and definitely not the only way of like thinking about Right, race with the Frenchman or thinking about hair and thinking about particularly, you know, black hair. Like, I don't know. It was just, it was really liberating for me. Yeah, yeah. I just will always take that, like, ingrained in me forever. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting because in the past when I've had white women say to me, like, oh, I wish I had hair like yours, I always thought that was just them, like, not being able to think of anything else to say so they just come up with a compliment and that they think will work and it's just like girl you really you don't even know anything about my hair talking about you want hair like mine like obviously like I just figured it's just them trying to come up with something to say because maybe they're not used to interacting with black people so they're just like oh I like your hair I wish I had hair like yours um like I never (laughs) considered it to be genuine and I just thought it was conversation fodder but now listening to you I'm like "Hmm, maybe they're white women who wish they could do more with their hair you know and maybe they do actually admire the stuff that we do like the versatility that we have with our hair yeah maybe maybe some of those women were genuine (laughs) maybe they were genuine maybe they were honest you know (laughs) yeah so okay so um you mentioned that being very liberating you remember any other things that stand out about london that were as you mentioned like eye-opening or just things that uh, about London itself that left a really strong impression on you? Yeah, I think with London in particular, more than Paris to me, it seemed like a place that um, was really Americanized. And I didn't like that. Um, oh. <laughs> and so? um, I think with like, you know what I would say with the clothing and fashion, I felt like that was very similar. Hmm. It was very similar to like a New York vibe in work clothing and fashion. And then I think, um, I, you know, there are a lot of American companies there. And so, you you know, you see the woman, the men and women in, you know, business suits walking around. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, it was it was a little bit more Americanized than I thought it was going to be. Um, I, I do think it was great to hear about like how they view health care there um, and it wasn't all rosy too, you know, some of them were like, yeah, you know, I was on this really long list to get something done. And if I had to, I would have gone to the States to have gotten it done quicker. Um, so it wasn't all rosy, but it definitely wasn't as bad as like how Americans will paint that system for mm. sure. So that was eye opening to me. Um, I do think what was super cool is that, you know, being, a, being in a public policy program like James Madison and then. Uh, going to London, we definitely visited, um, I don't even know the word for it, but we saw like the types of systems and government that uh, London has. Oh, and, like Parliament or yeah, something like that? Yes, Parliament. Okay. <laughs> we saw that. And so that was pretty awesome. 
we did a very deep dive analysis into like um, whether it was worth, you know, them having a crown and, you know, the Prince Charles and how much money they had like fiscally spent and how mm. really those people have no, absolutely no power in anything. Pretty much. <laughs> They're just really figureheads. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they bring in tourism too, I'm sure. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um yeah which is which is a cool a cool perspective to have you know um Mm -hmm. so yeah Mm. you said that you your mom you and your mom had this system where you had to like text her this this word to ensure her that she that you were okay because i guess she was really worried about you know your safety and this is your first time abroad and all that um (laughs) but i mean you yourself did you feel safe when you were in um in London and Paris, you know, that first time that you went to Europe? I um I felt more safe in London. Um, well, here's the thing, because if you don't I feel like more so in London, if you don't have like an accent, it's not like an immediate like a lot of people don't have an accent who lived in who live in London. So they don't like immediately spot you as like a complete foreigner, like maybe you're a long-term businessman that's always mm. lived here and grew up in the States, you know? Mm-hmm. Whereas I think in Paris, and I don't have the data on this, this is just my experience, but yeah. I think like, you know, English is, I, I felt like it was much more prevalent because London was more of a business center type place than mm. I think Paris was really. And so like, I guess I felt safer as an American in London simply because it was more Americanized. And then like, if you don't have an accent, that's fine. You know, they, they are relying on like, I guess they are relying on like another language for sure to mm-hmm. have to be spoken. I know a lot of Europeans do speak like at least minimum three languages. You know, they're so impressive. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I didn't I didn't feel like somebody could spot that I wasn't there. And, and that's like the only like terms of like that's the only measure of safety that I, I, fe- that I felt and had versus mm-hmm. I think in Paris, like, yeah, OK, you don't speak English, but you don't speak French like ever you like what then it just is like more easily like oh you're not from here and everybody (laughs) i met was great and nice but it's like oh you're not from here let me let me be a pro pickpocket i'm just saying like that would have been like the next train of thought you know (laughs) whereas i think i could like blend in like you know kind of more in london and like yeah i just (laughs) like you know like blend in and like after after i spoke like Mm -hmm. blend in like yeah i'm still you know yeah. So I'm still down. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't stand out as much in London and, you know, you weren't as easy a target as you might have been in France um, because you because it would have been more obvious that you were, like you said, not from there or whatever. So, yeah. 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 I remember feeling like that. I remember because when I studied in France, you know, I'd spent that time really trying to um, – What's the word? Not assimilate, but just, you know, I was trying to speak French all the time because that's what I was there for. And I remember when I went to London and everything was in English. Everyone around me was speaking English. (laughs) I was like, oh, yeah, this is the language I speak. I can relax a little bit more now because I understand everything. And I I don't think I... I mean, I don't think I had, I think because of my accent, I think I could like fool people a little bit when I was in France. Um, but it's like, you don't have to, I didn't have to try as hard in London because it's just like, you know, I, I understand everything that's, that's being said because this is, you know, 
the language I'm more used to. So it's, yeah, it's, you can like breathe a little easier. <laughs> not worry about standing out as much. I, I get that. I get that. Um, oh my goodness. You are so impressive. I, yeah. I then then you studied Japanese too. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, did. I remember. I remember. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so surprised you remember that though. <laughs> I do because I had tried to um what I tried I had tried to I remember for one year I took Mandarin and it was like the hardest thing. I remember that. Freshman year yeah. you were taking Mandarin. I remember that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I was like, I've always, yeah, I could like write it and read it, but like girl trying to speak it or hear it was like, oh, that was like the tones, different tones. I was like, no, girl. And then it was five credits. I was like, I can't with this, you know. <laughs> Like, don't want to get a, a oh, 3.0 or 3.5 or, mm-hmm. or whatever. I forgot the grade system um, at state. Uh, yeah. No, yeah. I totally remember that. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I, I guess it depends on the person. But I will say that, you know, language learning can be very challenging. Um, even with myself, like, I put in a lot of effort to, like, keep my languages up even though I haven't been a student for a long time. Um, So I commend anyone who tries, at least, you know. (laughs) And I was not finna, I was not about to try learning anybody's Mandarin. So I was really like, oh, you're learning Mandarin? Like, wow, okay. Good for you. (laughs) Because I wasn't about to do that. (laughs) So at least you tried, you know. Um, and you know, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, maybe some of it is like lingering in there. Maybe you might surprise yourself from time to time from what you remember. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh man. Okay. Oh, um, so you mentioned when you went to Paris, you were like, kind of like in, in the hood, like you were where (laughs) there were more black people (laughs) in the city. In London, did you happen to see more black people around you or you noticed areas that had different, you know, people of different ethnicities and whatnot? Yeah. You know, I noticed on the street how, um, and maybe a place like New York is maybe the only place that's really, but I think, okay, in America, it does quite feel like people of the same race really do hang out together like very closely and Mm -hmm. I know we're like getting you know more away from that I mean it's definitely like coded and like if you looked at like who marries who or like you know we're pretty much I mean there are some groups that are like swaying differently but Mm -hmm. like your friends or stuff like that like I don't know but I do feel like I saw combinations of people that I'm combination of people in America that I would never see being friends or hanging out in the way that they were Mm -hmm. like, and maybe this is my limited view when, you know, my small sample size, but like, you know, I saw like the Indian woman hanging out with like the Asian man or Mm -hmm. like, or like a lot of like Asian and black people hanging out with. And like, um, yeah, I was just kind of like, wow, I would have never thought, you know, I guess because someone from Texas and Michigan too. I mean, it's kind of like, 
cluster black folks here, cluster white folks here, cluster of, you know, like, they're all kind of clustered together. And you, yeah, you can go to Michigan State or Ann Arbor and that won't be the case. But like, in a normal, in a normal city, like uh, in Michigan or in Texas, like, it's kind of the case, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, they're only maybe intermingling if they're like working, but like non-working, like where, where are they at in the groups of people who are like, hanging around, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like in London, and this is just truly like passing by, but like, it just really felt like they had way more like interracial friendships. Mm. Um, yeah. And I was like, wow, you know, that's so futuristic and forthcoming. And, mm. and so I was like, hmm, wow, okay. There are like some things we could definitely learn. I do think tr- truly, I was at the University of Regents in London. Um, I love the public transportation system they have over here. Like, <laughs> I don't know why really a lot of like top cities don't really have it, including Houston, hmm. um, to like the same way that, you know, the Chicago and DC and New York does. And I say that, and I say that also including Houston and LA, you know, I hmm. really thought LA would have a much better public transportation system. And, you know, I was highly disappointed with oh. that. Um, <laughs> 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 is, it, is it like Michigan where you have to drive everywhere basically or get like an yeah, Uber have, or something? Yes, you have to drive everywhere. And unlike in the Chicago, DC, New York, everybody doesn't do public transportation. Like in both places, every type of person is like on public transportation. Hmm. In LA, the limited public transportation they have is only like a certain type of person that's on like a certain demographic of person and, you know, characteristic person on there and so like it it makes for a very like i think people talk trash on it and Mm. people who don't ride it and yeah it just makes for a very interesting dynamic i think the public transportation versus like a yeah new york chicago dc you know type of vibe so in london you saw more a greater variety of combinations of people spending time together and you also you know got to benefit from this transportation system the do they call it the metro or the, no they call it the tube right the tube yeah um yeah that everybody uses <laughs> whereas here in the states depending on where you are it's either not accessible or maybe it's seen as like something only maybe lower income people use it's not something that everyone takes advantage of or can take advantage of even if they want to is that, yes. is that and the gist? Yeah. <laughs> that's the gist. And on that note, on that note, I will say that's so interesting you bring that up because it, it reminds me of like, okay, think about people on the tube. So there would be times that we were supposed to go somewhere as a group collectively and um and it would be a strike. The people, mm. the two people work there um, were on strike. And so, you, you know, it wasn't operating. You couldn't get from point A to point B. And because in London, a lot of people do use it, you know, it gives them way more bargaining power, you yeah. know, because we're not just stopping maybe the unhoused or the lower social economic status, but we're stopping, you know, the businessman that's getting from point A to point B. And so like mm-hmm. the bargaining power that they had to me was uh, incredible. I mean, I'm like a sucker for you know, unions and union rights. Mm-hmm. And like, I, and I mean, like COVID has definitely made this like an employee market for now, but, yeah. um, which I think you should totally, you know, I tell people like, if you can make it through COVID, you know, it's for, it's really changed the trajectory of some people personally, but also like financially. I know people who 
just, yeah, nurses in my family who definitely have been able to afford houses, have been like just, it just changed a lot for them. Mm-hmm. But I say all that to say is that, um, yeah, it's an employee market now with COVID. And, you know, it was, it was the first time we appreciated, you know, um, people who worked at grocery stores or truck drivers or yeah. like teachers, which is crazy because they do such important and, you know, hard work. Um, but anyways, long story short, but I think that relates a lot to Michigan because I think I, um, so my dad still, he works for Chrysler and he's a part of a union. And so I've kind of just always been like a union kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know how pivotal the unions have been for Michigan, but also if we're like really thinking about, you know, black people, um, black people really thought out of the middle class when, when uh unions dissolved really and Mm. so um if we could you know in my mind get back to a place where unions had power that would be incredible and i know there's like starbucks and amazon there's been like movements like that's been going on Mm -hmm. um but yeah anyways that was just so um so cool to see i guess comparing that to like being in london and and you know strikes and things like that because while i've like heard about it from like you know, Michigan's history. Um, and like, I think, yeah. And like Amazon or Starbucks in like DC or New York, it kind of happened, but like, I guess to like live in a time and place where, you know, strikes happen is like, uh, invigorating. Yeah. Um, you know? So, <laughs> yes. So you got to see that real time in real time in London. In real time. The power of unions, the power of workers banding together. And it's like coming back again now, currently, um, with a lot of the, movements that are happening in different industries right now. Yeah, that is really fascinating. That, uh, <laughs> that has come has come around full circle again. Um Yeah. So oh yeah. So you you were um you said you went to Spain the following year with the School of Business, right? Um mm-hmm. so you know what made you wanna go abroad again? Was it just just because you could and felt like doing it or was there a specific reason why you did this particular program in Spain well it was a class that I was also another class everything I do revolves around class I really need to stop this cycle but um so it was a class I was taking a marketing class a marketing and international business class and um it was a chance to go to Spain and honestly truthfully I really did not want to be back in Europe um because, you know, Europe is an amazing place, but it's also like a, like a safe place to visit. And I, when I mean safe, I don't mean mm-hmm. like a physical threat safe, but like a, everybody oh, goes you there. Went to, everybody goes to <laughs> Europe, you know, it's just kind of yeah. like, like you're not special. Like the average, you know, working professional, they're on vacation in Europe two times a year. Like, oh, you're in Europe. You didn't see this or that. You know, it's just kind of like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm just... I'm just traveling down the same road, you know, mm-hmm. by that point. Cause like, I think their allure of like, you know, first it was like country girl goes, you know, abroad. It's like, Oh, this is exciting. But then after like second time, I was like, Oh, back to Europe again. I mean, I know it's a different country, different field, but I was like back to Europe again. Well, how boring. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, what's so funny during my master's program at Michigan, I was so excited because I was going to have the chance to go to um, Kenya Mm. and I was, I was like, so gun ho Kenya. I was actually going to go to Kenya, China. And um, I was actually planning to go to Israel. And I know that's 
very hot topic debate. Mm-hmm. But won't get into that. But um, and I was just so I was so excited. I was so ready to like really be immersed in like a totally utter different culture. And COVID like messed all that up. So yeah. that didn't happen. So sorry about that. Yeah, that was super. <laughs> I know. I know. Um. Okay. But yes. But I will say about Spain. You know what? Okay. I think Spain kind of tops the list of places I would live abroad. Okay. Canada's number one, but Spain is like also number two Mm. so i went to barcelona it is absolutely beautiful the architecture is beautiful and (laughs) i really think it's because i'm from texas and like there's obviously a blend of different cultures but like a very heavy hispanic latino blend Mm -hmm. i felt like and that was the same in barcelona and very much so the same in in la it like makes me feel like at home Mm. like very easily i'm happy i'm happy i did go to spain of course but yeah, I think like like Spain was definitely a better cultural experience than like the Paris and the London, because um, it definitely did feel more like home. It, yeah. it it yeah, hands down. Yeah, it felt it felt like it felt like home. It felt like wow. If I you know had enough money, it felt like wow. Maybe one day I could get a, like a little nook of a place here. Like that's how much I like really enjoyed enjoyed Spain. Mm, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it was like. Being in a like a Spanish speaking culture felt very familiar to what you were already used to. Um, okay, this is gonna <laughs> maybe this is a dumb question, but I again I, I don't have any experience with Texas. I've never lived in Texas. I passed through the <laughs> Dallas airport like once on a layover. That's it. I have no experience with Texas. But um, is there any because you have you know you're so close to Mexico and you do have that that um, Mexican culture there like you know latin american and um hispanic cultures there is there a greater emphasis on learning spanish when you were like growing up in texas you know what it's actually a huge emphasis and this was back when i was in like middle school high school um which is like years ago now but so i am from like i'm from beaumont texas which is really very close to the border of Louisiana, but it's also the closest biggest city is Houston. Mm-hmm. And Houston actually is on track. Um, I think in like 20 or so years that uh, Hispanics will be the majority in Houston, mm. um, which is why you'll hear people say, Texas might go blue. It might go blue. And mm. it's, it's, it's because of that demographic, not saying that all of them are going to vote in one way or the other, but that looking at the trend of how they vote now and mm-hmm. seeing population growth and things like that, how how Texas could be like they're the reason why it probably in the, in the future is hopeful to be to be blue. But um, but oh yeah, so in high school and I think I started like like maybe my last year of middle school, everybody took Spanish classes, and then definitely all throughout high school I took it, and then. I was just, you know, kind of la-ti-da and, you know, was like cackling somewhere and not really paying attention. And I really like, that's like the one language that I really actually wish I like fully kind of invested into at Michigan State and like continue to invest into because I think it's, um, it's just something I would practically use. I could, you know, there's so many like, even like legal positions or leaving even legal internships that like, it's like Spanish is a requirement. And it's just like, well, there could be another you know, a group of people that I reached that I could talk to. Um, mm-hmm. And so I totally wish I would have. Yeah. So answer your question. Like, yes, there's a huge emphasis on especially where I'm from in Texas on speaking Spanish. 
Um, and a huge emphasis that I've seen, like, really in my professional life, too. And in my legal career, I definitely will see that same thing, too. Yeah. Uh, I wish I would have totally, yeah, given, like, way more emphasis to Spanish. But you know what? There's hope. There's hope. Yeah. After my 1L year, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna totally, you know, really kind of invest in, into speaking Spanish again and just kind of, like, try to pick it up. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I definitely, <laughs> like you said, there's... Of course, it's it's not too late. You can definitely still do that. Um, I, I asked because I didn't know if you, well, maybe you didn't even need to. I don't know. But if you like try to communicate with people in Spanish when you were in Barcelona or maybe were able to understand certain things because of, you know, your background coming from like a, um, a place that has a heavy Spanish speaking pre- presence, were you flexing your Spanish at all? <laughs> <laughs> um. Because I was with the university and we kind of went to like all these American companies in Spain, it wasn't Uh, like a necessity because everybody was like English, English, English galore. But like definitely, you know, when we like went to clubs and went off the beaten path, yeah, definitely Spanish was definitely spoken. But you know what I realized um, is that like there's always a jargon to every, to like every language really. Mm -hmm. And so like, so like the Spanish that's spoken in Texas is like a, it's a little different flair, a lot of different flair than like the Spanish spoken in Barcelona. Mm-hmm. So um, and like the you know kind of the slang words are different. Um, I yeah I do I can pick up on like certain words for sure, but like it was yeah definitely still like a barrier. Like I really feel like I couldn't lean on anything I had learned, especially because it was in high school and you know. I like dropped language classes after my freshman year at state. So mm-hmm. I really had been like very distantly away from it yeah. by then. Um, I, unfortunately, no, I really, I really couldn't like kind of lean into it yeah. at all. I mean, yeah. you know, that's fair. Like you said, um, you weren't like heavy into <laughs> studying languages at the time and you were only there for, what did you say? Like a, was it like a week like or a, so? Yeah. Like a yeah. week and a half. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was just asking because I was curious, but it makes sense if if you didn't really need it and the situation didn't really call for it, then, you know, that's fine. What what else about Barcelona appealed to you? You said it felt like home because of where you come from in Texas. and But in terms of, like you said, how it's like your top, like your number two in terms of places you would, you would consider moving abroad <laughs> to, you know, what else about Barcelona really appealed to you at the time? I think the food in terms of like um so you know this but like okay barcelona is like everybody eats tapas right and like Mm. the point of that is to like is for this really like communal feel and the point of it is to get like multiple dishes so that way like each each everybody can like share off of each other and like have these like yeah it's so small appetizers that like you have to eat more than one and you end up kind of sharing and so you have this really communal feel like at the table you know Mm -hmm. and I think that reminded me of like really how I feel about Texas in general Mm -hmm. it's just like it's a very community oriented place like Mm -hmm. at its core like at its core we value these really traditional social values like we value like the time we spend together over food and like the importance of food and so that was like one way that really felt like home and felt like very similar to for me. And then I just think like, it just kind of felt like once you got past like Barcelona so beautiful, but once you got past like all where all the American companies were, mm-hmm. um, 
it felt like a place where people just really like valued the simple things in life. Like they weren't really like trying to like eat money, like, you know, (laughs) 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 now I hear what you're saying. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. (laughs) You know? Yeah, yeah, I do. important things here mm-hmm. and that's like what people seek and and thrive to and um it just really yeah it just really felt like home and mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah and it did it did not feel as capitalistic as like uh london did um mm-hmm. for sure for sure mm-hmm. yeah i can see yeah um i can see how that would really appeal to you um and how that really yeah, I've heard that. I've heard that said a lot about Spain, how it's like, and I hear that about France too sometimes, but, um, there's more of an emphasis on enjoying life, right? Hmm. As opposed yeah. to like climbing some ladder or reaching some big goal or getting really rich or, you know, whatever, whatever, <laughs> you know, the, those, um, values that we have placed on work here in this country, <laughs> you know? <laughs> It's it's not like that in in places like Spain and I mean I I feel like that's the way a lot of people would like to live if they had the chance to you know I know, I know. so yeah okay and, and what about in terms of uh, as we spoke about previously in terms of like like racial diversity or even seeing like any sort of black presence did you notice that while you were in Spain you know what I actually. I actually didn't notice that. Hmm. Um, and I didn't think about that until you, um, until you, until you brought it up too. Um, yeah, definitely saw like a lot of white people, but I like don't remember seeing like that many actually people who appear to be black, hmm. um, in Spain, in, in Barcelona in particular. Um, okay. that's so funny you said that actually. Um, and, it, and you know what's funny is that I, because it felt like so much like home in terms of like culture and family and things like that and slower pace of life, mm-hmm. I guess that overshadowed me like trying to find the black people in a space, which is what I mm. typically do like everywhere I go. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Me I'm too. like, where are they? <laughs> I mean, even in LA, even in LA, I'm like, where are they? Um, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> no, I actually like looking back on it. I actually don't remember mm-hmm. there being that many. Mm-hmm. Not like it wasn't diverse, but I don't remember being like, hey, what's up, man? You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you know, giving like the nod right. to somebody like, hey, I don't know you, you don't yeah. know me, but. We see you each know. other, yes. <laughs> when I see you in this space, you are recognized in this space, sir. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, when you were, when you went to London and Paris, you mentioned like, you know, Chris was there. So like you had, there were black people in your group, like from, from MSU or from Madison more specifically in Spain. When you went with like, with, with broad, is it broad or broad? I always never knew how to pronounce it, but, um, I think it's broad. Okay. So funny. So sorry to cut you off. No, it's okay. I didn't, I didn't know he was like a, um, 
Okay, you know how he has that really big, you can't miss it museum at state, you know? The yeah, the art museum. museum. Yeah. Okay, money just follows, money's everywhere. So I live, I was walking down the street, I live downtown in LA, I was walking down the street and I saw this museum that also said, bro, and I was like, could this be the same man? And it sure definitely is. So he also has a museum here in downtown LA too. I think he just, I know he had his money in real estate. Oh, for real? He wow. just he just loves museums. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay, and I, I have to look into I know. This. Yeah, it's 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 crazy where you follow the money. And that'll give me on another story about like the the how okay, I stayed in some graduate housing in Michigan mm-hmm. called Munger. And Munger is really like he's at Warren Buffett's like financial advisor slash cousin, I think. Mm-hmm. But this man has residential houses uh, like yeah, for graduate dorms and like 15 different universities too. Oh. Like he just is like, he loves it. And um, there's like no windows in this place where he built in Michigan, which is like, you know, hmm. need to see the sunlight sometime. But um, yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's like crazy where you like follow the money and like where it's all like interconnected. I'm like, is this broad from, <laughs> from Michigan State here? You know? So Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, like you said, I guess you had to follow the money and, you know, when it comes to like <laughs> things that, um, buildings that are named after people, it's like, you know, you gotta follow the money to figure out why that person's name is on that building. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, what was I asking? Oh, yeah. So I was just asking, um, in terms of like your, gr- the group that you went with to Spain, were there other black students on that trip with you? Yeah, it was about a couple of them. Okay. Um, <laughs> and, okay, yes, I went with them. Very cool. But I think it was a majority white class. Yeah. And I don't know if those type of black people would have also been looking for other black people mm. um, as well. Um, yeah. So I don't know if it was like a big thing to them either. Um to like, I guess to, uh, yeah, I guess to not like notice it, but yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, the class I went with, yeah, was not very diverse. And I, looking back on it, yeah, I don't think that the parts of Barcelona that I saw mm-hmm. wasn't really diverse either. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what? This really brings me back. And I think this really definitely ties back to like my time in London. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that, while like um Spain felt more like home, I do think if you like wanted a more diverse experience, I do think that I don't know if it's like the relationship between like a lot of like people from African countries are in London. And maybe I'm just saying this honestly oh. because truthfully, yeah, I don't know if I'm saying this because truthfully I am at watching I'm watching on Discovery Channel, which I'm obsessed with, London Lit. Have you heard of this show? But Mm -hmm. anyways, it's like, whether it's Ghana or Nigeria, um, they're in London now. I don't know if like that. Yes, they do have that same history. But like, if you wanted a more diverse place, I do think like places off the cuff in London would probably give you a more diverse Mm. place for the black experience than like, uh, for sure, than I think Spain would give you. Yeah, and you know what? This really makes me want to go read like a history book on like the, um, yeah, yeah. Because I know, um, there was someone I interviewed a few years ago. She's a professor. She lives in Spain now, actually, but she like had mm. written a, 
She like re- she went to Spain and researched like the history of black people in Spain and um like that's really a really important topic to her especially since she's married to a Spanish man and her her children are both uh black and Spanish and and she also spent time studying in Spain so she it was really important for her to like kind of like dig up and and find the traces of black people in Spain so I know there's a history there that maybe people don't know about but in terms of like or or an influence that people don't maybe don't realize comes from black people but yeah I guess um population wise or demographic wise it might be hard to to see yeah, I guess I would have to go and do do some learning, do some reading too to find out, find out more about that. So, uh, I would be so interesting if you could pass on to her, like pass on her work to me. Or, oh yeah, um, for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Her name's uh, her name's Lori Tharps. Definitely, she's definitely one to check out uh, if you if you or anyone else listening is interested in <laughs> you know, black. Blackness in Spain, black people, the connection between black people in Spain, because it's there. We just don't know about it. And I, yeah, <laughs> I remember when she yeah. talked to me, it's like a lot of Spanish people don't know about it as well. So <laughs> <laughs> even though they're, you know, that's their country, they're born and raised there, even they don't know. So it's like <laughs> history that's kind of hidden in plain sight, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so you went to, to London and, and Paris, you went to Barcelona. And, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> you graduated MSU and, and you went to U of M for your MPP. Is that it? Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I was wondering, I, I mean, obviously this isn't, this isn't related to like travel or anything, but I always, because I remember you would say that you were interested in going to law school and you were like working in account- accounting for a while. So... <laughs> I was like, oh, wow, she's doing all these big things. And then I heard you were going to Michigan for a different type of graduate degree. And I'm like, wow, she is just out here doing it. But I didn't know why you were you wanted to get like um, this other degree ahead of, you know, going to law school. So, <laughs> I mean, can you talk about why you decided to get a public policy, de- a, you know, a master's in public policy at, at Michigan? <laughs> Definitely. Um, <laughs> so after JMC, um, I, I was I was at a dual degree in social relations and policy and accounting, and I really did not want to rely on my accounting degree. Hmm. I was like, no, I want to work at a think tank, and uh, you know, I want to you know change the world, and you know, I want to be in the politics field. And but I also really miss Texas and really miss the South, and so hmm. I was like, I knew I wanted to go back. And so I tried to look for jobs um, and I just could not, I couldn't find the fit. And mm-hmm. um, everybody from JMC went to like DC or, you know, somewhere. Really, I don't think anybody really went to the South. And so I knew yeah. I was kind of like a lone wolf in that way. So I, so I ended up working using my accounting degree and w- went back to Houston. And um, while I really enjoyed my time three years, like working, doing accounting, I did not see like impact with my work and I'm somebody that really needs to like know I'm out there helping people for me to really put in like put in a care to do good work and I that's just like how I'm wired I know some people can like work on stuff like M&A like or work on stuff that I think has no point or passion or anything like that um but I'm just not like that so I was actually funny story I was actually um 
applying to law school. I had actually applied to law school twice after my, yeah. So this was after me working. I originally applied to law school and I was like really late for the cycle. But at the time I really knew that I really wanted to like experience Michigan, Um, like Mm. the university of Michigan, because all the resources that's there is just phenomenal. And so and Michigan law was like my dream law school at the time. And um, it just was, I just knew the resources there and what they could do. And uh, it was just definitely where I wanted to go. So I was really late for like the application cycle, but then there was just like an ad. It was just like an ad of like, you can get a master's in public policy at Michigan. And it was the only master's in public policy program I'd ever applied to. Mm. Like I, I knew I love public policy because obviously I majored in it, but I like, didn't think about getting a master's in it. And I was just like, oh, it's a one-off and I really want to go to University of Michigan. So I applied um, knowing I was knowing that I was going to wait another year for the next admission cycle to apply to law school again. It was the only MPP program I applied to. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so, you know, I didn't think about it for a while. And then I remember like kind of thinking about it and be like, oh, if I got in, I'm not going to pay for an MPP degree. <laughs> like, <laughs> Knowing that I'm going to have to pay for a law degree. It was just kind of like a fluke really thing. And so I got the email that I had gotten into the University of Michigan Master in the Public, po- Public Policy Program. Um, and so I read the email and I was like, mm, this is great, but I'm not going to pay for this degree. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then at the bottom of it, it was like, we think you're so great and you're so exceptional that we're going to offer you a full ride and all Whoa. your expenses. Yeah. That's amazing. This, I was like, oh I was gosh. like, whoa, I was, <laughs> I, that is, it was like, I literally emailed, emailed them and I was like, Hey, do you have like the right person? Like, I, I really, <laughs> am I being punked? <laughs> like, like, was this email? Yeah, no, seriously. I was like, was this email like meant to be sent somewhere to somebody else? Like, I just, you know, I just want to clarify or whatever. Mm-hmm. They're like, no, we think you're great. And, um, you know, we, we like really, yeah, want you to come. And the kicker was, is that like for most MPP programs, you have to have a GRE. I had not taken the GRE. I just applied with my LSAT score. Oh. They said that they took the LSAT score, which wow. that, that's what I had been studying for. And so I was just like, whoa, like was not expecting this at all, you know, like whatsoever. It was so God, like so God. It wasn't even me. Like I just... I was just like that wind, like that ball of wind that's just like moving with no clear direction type of thing. And like, it was just so God and so meant for him to provide for me this opportunity, mm-hmm. especially like knowing that it can be paid for. And, um, and I was like, well, wow, this is such a big decision. And then, um, like it was like two weeks later, I found out that I had gotten into the University of Southern California Law School. And oh, wow. <laughs> so I was like, whoa, like this is crazy. Like this is crazy, you know, because I had applied to like everybody and their mom. I was like, this is crazy. And I applied there late mm-hmm. and they gave me money too. They gave me about 50% off. It wasn't a full ride, but 50% off. And I was just like, mm. what do I do? You know, and as cheesy as this sounds, I really did feel like 
I just felt like it was just like my time to experience Michigan Mm -hmm. again. Like I just felt like I could do, I could like explore the state the way I wanted to. Like I'd always really known, like, I guess the resources that Michigan had and it sounds crazy, but I was like, yeah, it just sounds crazy. But I told USC, I was like, Hey, this is what I have going on, but I still want to come to this law school what are your ideas? And they were like, we'll wait two years for you to get your MPP and we'll save your spot and your money and for you to come here two years. I know, I know. And I was like, whoa, (laughs) this is so crazy, you know? Um, (laughs) I was like, this is crazy. Um, And, you know, my my mama was like, girl, you know, you just need to go ahead and go on to law school and, um, you know, your time in Michigan is over. But I was like, it's not over. It's not over. To I want it to be over. So mm-hmm. anyways, so that's okay. So that's the story about how I got, got into my MPP program. And mm-hmm. then uh, it was such a blessing because I didn't have to apply to law school again. And like knowing the, how application rates were during COVID and like how the spike was, I would have been it was, it was a very competitive class, basically, mm-hmm. long story short. And so it just was like great to already have my spot. But looking back on it, like, yeah, I am a, I am like an older law student. But doing the MPP program really made me realize like what I wanted to do with my life and mm-hmm. what type of law I wanted to do, actually, surprisingly. And so, um, and so I took this class during my MPP program that really changed my life. It was this class. It was called Financing Equitable Development. And it went into like, from start to finish, how do you finance, build, everything, affordable housing? Um, which, like, you know, most people don't think about when they see affordable housing, it sounds nice. But mm-hmm. it's like, well, how do you make something that is for profit accessible to people that don't that aren't paying market rate? What mm-hmm. goes into that? And it's it, it's a slew of tax credits, whether it's new markets tax credits, historic tax credits. Um, it's a slew, it's, it's a slew of public and private partnerships, essentially, that really make it work a developer, a construction company, but also a slew of tax credits and how do you build equitably, like the spaces, right? Like how do we make a space that's meant for a family to like grow and live in? Mm-hmm. And it was, it was a, it was a phenomenal class. It had policy students, law students, business students, urban planners. Um, it really like rocked my world. And I was like, this is what I want to do. Like I want to, I, I basically want to do, um, it's called like project finance or like public finance. But what it's doing is basically trying to put together different mechanisms of financing, whether it's public, private, a mixture of both that really helps fund really social change, whether it's like windmills or whether it's how do we get hospitals in rural places, in like mm-hmm. rural communities, which we really don't think about a lot which like being from Texas and I mean, I didn't live in like a farm town, but like, you know, we, we always forget our rural folks, you know, Mm -hmm. and they're out there and they need these resources too. And yeah, but then how do we, uh, how, how, how do we help places like Baltimore or Michigan that have like, um, that's like kind of, uh, a rust belt place where there were all these beautiful warehouses that are now nothing's there. The company is left. How do we, you know, we can make that into affordable housing. We can make that into a food incubator. We could do mm. so much stuff with this space. So it's like using, how do we use the built environment as like a source of healing and particularly mm. for communities of color? And, um, it was, it was just, it was phenomenal, phenomenal, changed my life. If nothing else, I got my I got my real passion in like 
kind of know what type of law I want to do yeah. um, through my public policy program. And then so when I came to law school and I'm and I'm in the, my second semester of my first year, and girl, I cannot wait ugh, for this year to be over with because it's definitely the hardest. <laughs> and I'm just like counting down like May 11th at 12.30. I am like going to be a rat in these streets. But I think like, I think, yeah, it just like really shapes everything. It shapes how I think about things. Yeah. Um, and it gives me so much more purpose. And not to, you know, knock on people, but I definitely wouldn't, I would not have recommended going to law school straight out. I think it's such a heavy financial investment, even with me getting a scholarship, mm-hmm. such a heavy financial investment. It's such, and also such a serious profession. My goodness, it's very serious. Everybody's mm-hmm. so serious, you know? And <laughs> like, raw, you know? Um, and I, like, it just, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm closer to 30. So I can understand where the seriousness comes from. But like me being like 22, 23, like, no, I just definitely, yeah, yeah I just, it was, it was just too, it would be too serious for me at that time. Yeah. So yeah, that's the story about how I kind of ended up in Michigan and it was a blessing. I love the program. I ended up in Michigan and now I'm here mm-hmm. um, in law school and I will be officially done with school. May 13th, 2024. And that's no more schooling for me. So. <laughs> you said that's good. No more. <laughs> no more. No more. No more. Um, but you know what? You might catch me, you know, teaching at a university. I mean, it may not be like the last time I'm in an educational setting, but yeah. no more. No but more. Is, I see. Yeah. Because I was... <laughs> I was like, <laughs> When I saw, when I when I heard you were going to U of M, I was like, oh, maybe she's not going to law school anymore. And then it was like, oh, I'm going to USC to for my for my JD, and I'm like, oh, wow, like <laughs> she's still doing it. That's amazing, you know. But I can understand wanting to be be done with um the the student aspect of being in, in school, being in academic settings. <laughs> Oh my gosh. But that's so phenomenal. Like you had like <laughs> like like two miracles at once. <laughs> Where you got to you got into two different graduate programs at the same time. And one of them you didn't even take the GRE for, you didn't have to pay for, and you got to go back to Michigan like you wanted. You know? And you got to defer your law program for yeah. like they, they held your spot for two years. That's amazing how that all came together. That's that's really. I mean, I know you worked really hard and uh, to to be seen as a qualified applicant, but you know that's really <laughs> m- miraculous how that all came together. I had no idea. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I know. I mean, really, man. I mean, big up to JC, Jesus Christ. Like, all glory to God. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. It, it definitely, definitely how I stumbled upon it. And I'm a huge believer in like manifesting things. I'm a huge believer in speaking stuff into existence. It's kind of like, it's similar to when you want to look for a new car. You mm-hmm. always see that car on the road everywhere you go. Or like you see something that reminds you, like, it's something, it, something phenomenal happens when you start. When you have the courage to speak it, then you start seeing it more in your mm-hmm. mind and your thoughts. And then it turns into something more of your actions. Like, yeah. And I, you know, 
I, the way, the same way I manifested about going to Michigan, you know, I know people who manifest about their husband and, you know, sure enough, they're married to them. So I'm mm-hmm. like, I need to start like doing this manifesting some more, you know, but uh, <laughs> for a husband, <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't mean to laugh at you. Honey. <laughs> it was just funny the way you made that connection. That's all. But yes, you know, go ahead and manifest your man, you know? That's no? right, honey. That's right. <laughs> if that's what you want, then go ahead and do that. You know? um, <laughs> oh my gosh! And I do, I really do appreciate how you said, um, you know, getting your master's in public policy really shaped your passions and mm-hmm. what you want to do as a lawyer. Uh, you know, it's like I'm not saying this to say that like lawyers are like heartless across the board but it really sounds like you really want to be a, a lawyer with a heart and that you are you want you 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 want to uh work purposefully like you said in terms of like um supporting communities and helping people get the resources that they need to create like a more equitable society you know that's not something that I would expect to hear from someone. I'm just saying, it's not something I would expect to hear from someone who's in law school. That's, you know, I guess maybe I'm, maybe it's that, that stereotype of people who are going into like corporate law or whatever, yeah. like these very, like you said, very serious, um, fields yeah. of practicing law. Whereas, you know, you've got a, like a more people centered, um, <laughs> angle on it, which I think is, you know, I feel like we need more of in this world. So. I'm excited oh, for what you're you gonna so do. Much. You know, thank I am. you so so much. Oh, you're I, you know, I will. <laughs> I will say. I will say. Um, okay, this is just one last tidbit. So mm. after my MPP degree, you know, I was like, okay, I'm scared to go to USC for law school. Um, but I truly do think, while I respect the law and I love learning the law, I don't think it is the engine that is gonna achieve the social equitable and justice that we need. Mm. Like I, and, and I think that was probably like maybe a part of one of the reasons why I delayed is that I really want to go to Michigan, but I also was like, Hmm, it's not like it. Let, let me see. And mm-hmm. I, I truly do. I know many friends who are, um, who got a dual degree in MPP, mass and public policy, but also like a business degree and who are doing really amazing thing right now with mm-hmm. like, venture capitalists who are people of color who are like really doing like really social entrepreneurship whether they're like maybe funding like pharmacies that are about that are that are um helping with like affordable medicine or like they're doing like social impact work so i guess i'm just trying to say like for anybody listening out there law is amazing and it's great but Mm -hmm. like i was looking for like how to change the world and Law is definitely not the only way, and I don't think the fastest way. I don't think the more holistic way to like change, um, mm-hmm. change society. Yeah, I don't, and that's not me being like pessimistic, but just like really actually like re- learning the law now. I'm like, oh wow, you know, and um, I, yeah, this system isn't set up to be equitable, and you always hear that all the time, but, mm-hmm. like, being in the trenches, I actually, yeah. like, read it, see it, see it displayed in cases. There are so many cases that I read that I don't morally agree with, but mm-hmm. if I'm, like, following the law, it's like, I totally understand why this decision came to this point, and yeah. it's just, like, heartbreaking to have to, like, like ha- you know, have fight that in between, like, you know, like, because I want what feels good to be what is right Mm -hmm. and it's just not in law so anyways just for somebody out there listening who is like 
Yeah, I just think there are just a lot, a lot more ways yeah. to like really impact the world. Yeah. yeah, it's it's one of various tools that can be used to achieve this goal of, like you said, changing the world. And so that's like one of the tools that you have. But you also, like you said, you know from <clears throat> excuse me from firsthand experience that it's not the only thing that's gonna make the difference. You know, no. Um, so yeah, I mean. It's good that you realize that now and that you still want to keep going and still, you know, <laughs> make something of it, even if you do see the the sort of pitfalls or the, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, the shortcomings of um, law as an avenue of social change. But, you know, like, it, it's like a, you're adding more to your, your toolbox, you know, and you quest <laughs> to save the world. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Oh, that's so awesome. I'm so glad that you that things have been working out that way and and now you're in California and pursuing your <laughs> pursuing your goals. I have heard that the first year of law school is really hard, so I'm glad that you have made it through to to your second <laughs> semester and I hope you survive the rest of the semester. Um Yeah, as far as like, you know, you talked about your future ambitions like professionally, but um and it's like who knows i mean people are traveling now um you, you mm-hmm. know with people being vaccinated and whatnot i don't know what your plans are regarding that but just in general in the future you know you've been to paris you've been to london you've been to barcelona you've been to canada <laughs> is there anything else in the, or anywhere else in the world that you have your sight set on that you would like to go to sometime in the future that is so funny you ask that because there's uh, while I'm in law school, there's a chance to study abroad for a whole semester mm. that I want to take advantage of. Um, so I'm thinking 2023, fall 2023, I'm thinking of going to Australia and oh. USC. Yeah, partners yes. with or um, universities in Brazil, Australia, Hong Kong. Uh, France, mm-hmm. um, Italy, and so I was like, I gotta do someplace not Europe, and um, <laughs> yeah. and so I was like, wow, Australia would be like an amazing place. Um, so you will catch me manifesting this. You will catch me fall twenty twenty three, spending a whole semester in Australia, and mm-hmm. I would love. You know, in that time to come back on this podcast, tell you how it compares to Europe and, um, <laughs> and you know, what what's epiphanies and self-actualization that I have yeah. in that time in my life. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look forward to that day, too. Mm, so, yeah, you can definitely. catch me. Yeah, that'll be awesome. Yeah, uh, semester in Australia. I forgot you said you also had been to Mexico too. I was like trying to get yeah. off in my head places you said you've been. Um, but yeah, Australia fall twenty twenty three. That'll be. I'm sure that'll be an amazing time, and I'm sure I would love to hear about it. Um, yeah, that would be really exciting. You're, you'd be on the whole other side of the world. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> Oh, that's cool. That's cool. So Australia 2023, that's what you've got your sights set on. Um, that's what I got my sights set on. And as far as, you know, you know, what you've been able to do so far where, you know, be it studying and 
in the UK or Spain, or even, you know, when you were doing your um, public policy competition in, in um, Toronto, you know, do you have any advice for someone who'd want to do those types of things as well? You know, uh, either like, you know, major takeaways that you would like to share or even ideas about how to afford participating in those things? Um, I would say the your whole world is, is just going to expand and explode when you study abroad, when you really take a step out of like your norm. Mm-hmm. And then in some ways, your your world's going to like kind of narrow in, in the way that you see like there are some things that are common to just all humans, you know, mm-hmm. no matter where you live too. Um, but I think really understanding your identity, the American identity or whatever, you know, country you may be affiliated with, really understanding your identity is really best understood not in your country, I think. Hmm. Um, and being somewhere different. And I, and I would say that, um, you are like the representative of like your family and you, you, you represent all these identities that you don't think you represent, mm-hmm. but then when you get outside of your norm, you like realize how much like you need to speak on them or, you know, kind of bring them to the forefront. So it makes you realize your identity on like, like times a hundred thousand times even more. Mm-hmm. And I would say that, you know, I have been blessed to find these opportunities to study abroad through my university. Um, but they are, you know, whether there's alumni programs or um, even just organizations that will help you uh, kind of facilitate this process of going abroad too. whether it's mm-hmm. independent blogs, you know, podcasts like this that will give like great <laughs> recommendations and really kind of seek your teeth into them. Mm-hmm. And then like it if there's a will, there's a way, like you're definitely going to make it abroad. If like that's what you manifest, mm-hmm. put your eyes and your attention and your thoughts and your actions on it. Like I'm, I'm a firm believer in that. Um, yeah. But I think your, your, your whole world changes and like the trend, the trajectory of even your family can really change when you study abroad and you see, well, this is how other people are living. This is how other things could be done, you know, um, and you can take that information back and kind of make your world, your community better, more holistic, more cosmopolitan. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, yeah, studying abroad just, it changes your world. Being abroad changes your world. Yeah. Um, for the better. Mm. That was really <laughs> profound. I appreciate, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. That resonates re- very deeply with me. So yeah, I appreciate you saying that. Um, and I, I asked about, affording it but i forgot that you said that you had a scholarship to go the first time right and then (laughs) the next time i don't know did you have a scholarship the second time as well when you went to spain i um no it was built into my tuition um but i will say is that reading a lot of blogs can like help you see how like the charges you need to get like the the phone um reading when other people have gone and what they wish they knew before can kind of help in your expense yeah and you know with these COVID days um flight prices are fluctuating and like staying alert to them can help Mm -hmm. you find cheaper places um when I went to Paris um me and my friends we stayed in hostels Mm -hmm. uh so cutting down on that cost as well is important um knowing that depending on where you go you like may not spend even as much money as you would like in the States, you know? So mm-hmm. keeping that in mind, depending on like particularly where you're going to, that it could be cheaper. Uh, yeah, there, there are, there are definitely ways, definitely ways mm-hmm. for sure. And you know, if you're, 
if you're a JMC student right now at Michigan State, you know, there's like a fund allocated for you to help you go abroad too. Yeah. Even if it's big or small too. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> really good ideas. Really um, helpful advice there. Yeah. I think that was, no, I think <laughs> that was it. I, my, my, my last question that I did have was, you know, where can people uh, reach you or keep up with you online if you would like them to do so? Um, They're always totally free to uh, add me on LinkedIn, send me a message. You can reach a girl on Instagram, Kristen Rich. I'm I'm here. Um, I'm I'm totally here. Yeah, if you want to reach me there, um, I think those are the two best methods of communication. Okay. If you want to continue this conversation, mm-hmm. um, but I'm here and I'm I'm rooting for everybody. You know, young, gifted, and abroad, and <laughs> even people who don't fit those. You know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Being a, and just being abroad in general, I'm like rooting for you. Mm-hmm. If you, you know, if you happen to go cool places and want to send me pics on LinkedIn, I'd love to see that too. Or mm-hmm. any ideas about Australia, but always rooting. It's all yeah. love here. It's all love. Yeah. <laughs> I need to, oh, that reminds me. There's someone I interviewed who, who did like a year or so as part of her grad program in Australia. So... I can I can link you to up. She'll probably yeah. have a lot that she can um, share with you. So please do. Yeah. I'll do that for sure. I will. Um, I'll text you after this is this is done, <laughs> um, so you can you can link up with her because I'm sure she'd have a lot to to tell you for sure. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so so LinkedIn, so people can find LinkedIn. you on LinkedIn or on uh, Instagram at um, Kristen Rich, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, um, yeah, that's all I had for you, for you today. Thank you. Um, I really do appreciate you being a guest on the show, but I really also just appreciate being able to talk to you again. Like you were, one, you were one of like the dearest friends that I made during my time. I miss you. <laughs> and I know we haven't been able to talk a lot in recent years, but you know, I always think of you and you know that little Aww. that little cluster of black girls we had at, at Madison. Know. You know, I think of, about all of you all the time. So I'm really glad I got to talk to you again. <laughs> I'm so glad I got to talk to you too. Yeah, no, like I still have that picture of all of us. We were like, we went to like some karaoke night. Yeah. And I still have that picture. And <laughs> and I will always credit you, Danielle, for introducing me to um, Issa Rae, Awkward Black Girl. I remember watching that oh, series in your I room and being you? like, whoa, I'm obsessed with her. This is like... This oh my gosh! Like so- I, don't, I don't even remember that. Okay, I I'm do. happy that I introduced you, though. That's awesome. I do. I remember <laughs> that. Like, and that was just crazy how like how young we were, and how like yeah, and how yeah, the times we lived in now. Yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, I will try to do a better job of keeping in touch. Um, Me too. And if I ever make it to California, um. I don't have any reason to be in California in the near future, but if I am between now and 2024, I will reach out. I will not squander the opportunity for us to meet up like I did when you were back in Michigan. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just been really great just Please to do. hear your voice and just to talk to you again. Like I said, I think about you all all the time and I am always so amazed and so impressed by what you all are doing now. And oh, you just, 
So sweet. I'm really just glad we got to touch base again. This has been really um, great for me. And I hope you've enjoyed this as, as well, you know. I have too. <laughs> this is my first podcast. I like, can't wait to text my mom and be like, I was on my friend's podcast, you know. So, like, I feel like I've made it. Thank you for making sure I've made it. And not... <laughs> And not just been like in school for I don't know like ten years. So <laughs> thank you. You're Danielle. very welcome. I'm honored that I was able to make you feel like you've made it. <laughs> <laughs> this is really great, honestly, because I um what I didn't realize when I started the show and kept doing it is that I eventually cycled through most of the people I already knew who would be interested in doing this thing. So I've been talking to mostly people I, I don't know. Um, so it's nice to interview someone that I actually know and, and have history with again, you know, a familiar voice. And I'm back in my uncle's house where I actually recorded my first interview ever. So it just feels Whoa! like I'm like back at the beginning, like full circle. <laughs> So surreal. Yeah. So surreal. I love it. So, um, yeah, I feel really good about this. So thank you. Thank you as well. You're welcome. And also thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'll let you enjoy the rest of your evening in LA and your weekend. All right. All right. Take care. You too. You take care as well, Kristen. All right. And I will, um, you will hear from me sooner than you'll realize <laughs> okay 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 sounds good all right. <laughs> bye all right bye take care have a good evening all right you too <laughs> all right y'all there it is thanks to Kristen for being such a wonderful guest and i hope you like how this all turned out for the rest of you listening don't forget to follow this podcast at Young Gifted and Abroad on Instagram and Facebook, and at YG Abroad on Twitter. And don't forget to check out guest profiles and resource lists on younggiftedandabroad.com. Also, if you enjoy what you've been hearing so far, then please continue listening to Young Gifted and Abroad wherever podcasts are, and you are welcome to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and wherever else you leave ratings and reviews. And as always, if you have questions or comments to share, or if you yourself would like to be a guest on the show, then feel free to email me at younggiftedandabroad at gmail.com. So for the next episode, in two weeks, the guests will be, provided that all goes according to plan, the guests will be someone who is on the committee for a study abroad scholarship that's aimed at uh, female students of color, and who is also in grad school in Ghana. So you can look forward to hearing all about that in two weeks. But until then, thank you so much for listening and talk to you next time. Life.